God bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. You should have a handout. If you don't, uh, Steve has some more to raise your hand. Um, I hope these will be helpful in following the sermon. And uh, contrary to what you may have heard, there's not a test afterwards. Uh, these are only to help. So. It doesn't seem possible, but we have come to the end of the summer. Um, today is part of Labor Day weekend, and I hope you enjoy it, however you choose to enjoy the day. It's okay. Um, Johnny Hart is the author of a cartoon that you're probably familiar with, B.C., and in B.C. there is a character named Wiley, and Wiley is the intellectual caveman of the group. He's the one that has the glasses on. And he has two thoughts to offer about Labor Day. One is a proverb that says, all play and no work makes Jack a two-year-old. But he also asks an interesting question. And his question is, why would someone choose the day in the year when nobody goes to work to celebrate a holiday called Labor Day? Well, Wiley might be right. Most of us are going to take the day off from our jobs tomorrow and enjoy the holiday that honors working men and women. Not all of us. We think about doctors and nurses and police officers and firemen and those who are in the military. Uh, it will be a regular working day. But I think Wiley missed it another way when he says that nobody works on Labor Day because some of us are going to spend part of the day behind a lawnmower and some of us are going to be working on summer jobs that we didn't get finished. And some of us are going to be getting ready for family picnics and gatherings. I have an idea that there will be a lot of work at the Costellos tomorrow morning. We work to get to the beach or to the park, and when we're done, we clean up the mess, and we come home, and, and we have to get ready for work on Tuesday. So have a great Labor Day. Enjoy the day off however you spend it. The Bible has a lot to say on the subject of work, on the subject of labor. Human beings work with God in his creation. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. The first job in human history is Adam's job of tending or caring for the Garden of Eden, chapter 2 and verse 15. The punishment of Adam's sin introduces the elements of futility and drudgery into work. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. God redeems that in part when he declares that labor is not to consume his people and commands that one day in seven be kept for rest. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. As we learned last Sunday night, Solomon exhorts us to take delight and to find satisfaction in our work. Ecclesiastes 9, 3, 9 through 14. In fact, he says there's nothing better under the sun than to work and to find pleasure in it, to work and to find satisfaction in the work that we do. God sends his son to earth, not only in human form, but he chooses a worker to be his earthly father. He chooses someone who is a builder, a carpenter who works with his hands. The Apostle Paul warns Christians in Ephesus to stop supporting themselves by stealing. 
and to go to work so that they can support themselves and can help others. He exhorts the Thessalonians to live by the work of their hands, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12. And when some refuse to work, as we heard in our reading, Paul rebukes them. And he lets them know that if they don't want to work, then they don't need to eat either. More than once in his writings, Paul makes it clear that it is a matter of his deepest conviction to let nothing distract from the gospel. And so wherever Paul went, Paul supported himself with his own labor. So our Savior was the son of a carpenter, and his apostle to the Gentiles was a tent maker. And so it is that God made work or labor part of his created order. He counts work as a virtue and diligence as something to value. He sees it as a source of delight and satisfaction. It is part of a Christian's faithful, worthy walk. Any honest work that we do, we do not just for ourselves, but we do to the honor and the glory of God who gave himself to the work of creation and the work of redemption. Jesus said at one point in his ministry when he was being questioned about his activities that his father was working still, and so he continued to work. John 5:17. In a passage that I especially appreciate, Philippians 1 and verse 6, Paul tells the Philippians that God has begun a good work in you. And then he gives the promise that God will complete that good work in them. Well, one of the places that we can turn to to find the Bible's instruction about work, as we might expect, is the book of Proverbs. It has a number of things to teach us about work in the form of of Proverbs and pithy statements. But one way it teaches us on the theme of work is by means of a character. A character named the sluggard. And there are some 15 passages in Proverbs that teach us about the ways of the sluggard. Not to uphold them and to praise them, but to warn us. To show us how not to be. Show us how not to work. And this morning I want to look at those passages so that we can learn the lessons of the sluggard that Solomon has for us to learn. There are three passages in Proverbs that are rather extended in their treatment of the subject of the sluggard. And the first is in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Turn there, please. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Solomon gives this advice. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This passage is unique in Proverbs because it's the only one in which the sluggard is directly addressed himself or herself. Solomon tries to get the lazy, do-nothing sluggard to see the danger of his sloth, his laziness. And he points the sluggard to the industrious ant. The hard-working ant would be a good teacher for the sluggard 
Because no one commands the ant to work. It has no boss. It has no officer. And yet all summer long it works and gathers and prepares for the winter. Well, if the ant can be such a diligent worker, Solomon wants to know why the sluggard can't be a similar kind of worker. And so he charges the sluggard. It's time to stop sleeping. It's time to stop those day-long naps and get to work. It's time to give up the attitude that says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And he asked the sluggard to consider what does such an attitude result in? And that's how you see things, a little rest, a little folding of the hands. What will the result be? Will you be well rested? Will you be wealthy? Will you be self-sufficient? Hardly. It results in poverty. It results in scarcity, in empty pockets, and empty cupboards. We need food and clothing and shelter and a number of other things, and God provides those for us. But the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom of Scripture is that part of the way God provides those for us is through the work and through the labor that we're able to do. Our second lengthy passage is found in chapter 24 of Proverbs. Please turn there. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30. I passed the field of a sluggard by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw it and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. Here, the sluggard is identified as somebody who lacks judgment. Here's somebody who not, doesn't know how to discern things properly. We don't have to guess where the sluggard lives. When we look at his fields, we don't see long, straight rows of vegetables, or we don't see a field full of grain. When we see his vineyard, we don't see a well-tended vineyard that is full of grapes. The fields... And the vineyard of the sluggard, Solomon says, are full of thorns and weeds. And the fences, the walls are falling down everywhere. And Solomon's conclusion is just what it was in the last passage. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms for rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber. Want like an armed man. Or as this is paraphrased in the message, you can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty, your permanent house guest. The last lengthy passage on the sluggard is found in chapter 26 in verses 13 through 16. Please turn there. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. 
It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The slugger can hardly get out of bed. He's like a door on its hinge. It just turns from side to side. He's too lazy even to feed himself. He reaches in the bowl to get something to eat, but he's just too weary. It's too much work to bring that to his mouth and eat. That's lazy, isn't it? You know, if you're that tired or you're that lazy that it's hard work to feed yourself, wow, you're really in trouble. And that's what Solomon is telling us. But but here's the thing that's so amazing about all this, is that Solomon says the sluggard thinks that he's the wise man. The sluggard is the one that thinks he's ahead of everybody else. And that only fools work for a living. But who is the real fool? Who is the person who is not wise? The sluggard is. And Solomon leaves no doubt about that. So things like diligence and hard work and self-discipline are virtues in God's eyes. They're virtues that God blesses. God approves of these and he desires to find them in his people. When we possess those things, they have a positive impact on our lives. Now, don't misunderstand. There is a place for relaxation. There is a place for rest. God made our physical bodies in such a way that we need rest and relaxation. But work is also necessary. It is also part of God's plan for how we live our lives. But then in addition to these extended passages about the sluggard, there are a number of single proverbs about him or about her. For example, in chapter 10, In verse 26, we learn that lazy people are an aggravating irritant. Chapter 10 and verse 26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The message reads, A lazy employee will give you nothing but trouble. We know what it's like to have vinegar in our mouth. We know what it's like to have smoke in the eyes. And who wants an employee or who wants a co-worker that never does their job, that leaves it for somebody else to do? That surely is a recipe for aggravation. Then in chapter 12, diligence and laziness are contrasted in three sayings. Look at verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. And verse 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. When we work hard... When we're diligent at our work, we have food and freedom and satisfaction of achieving our goals. The sluggard who will not work hard is a slave to poverty or always has a need for more, never having enough, not even of the basic necessities of life. Another feature of the sluggard or characteristic of the sluggard 
is that they dream big dreams. The slugger dreams of big houses and fancy cars and every meal a feast and pockets full of money. But then he wakes up and the dream is gone because only hard work produced those kinds of things. Laziness, Solomon says, is barren. It produces nothing, an empty field with no harvest. Where industry brings solid rewards and benefits, as Solomon says in chapter 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Then we come to chapter 15 and verse 19. Solomon says, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. In the message we read, the path of lazy people is overgrown with briars. The diligent walk down a smooth road. The sluggard makes no progress in life, but the hard worker presses on, reaches his destination, as another puts it. We have all seen the results of vandalism. Things people work hard for, destroyed for no good reason. But look at chapter 18 and verse 9 and see what Solomon says there. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism, the message reads. Sitting around and doing nothing sounds like such an attractive thing, but it won't give us any energy. It makes us sleepy and drowsy. It makes us worn out and tired. And where there is no work, there is no food. And so the sluggard ends up being hungry. Chapter 19 and verse 15. The first hope of the lazy bones is that there will always be free lunch. He always shows up at mealtime. To sit down and enjoy the food. The sluggard is too lazy to plow and to plant. But come harvest time, the sluggard wants barns full of harvest. The sluggard wants everything but won't work for it. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. And the result is that he has plenty of poverty. Chapter 28 and verse 19. Proverbs 21 to 25 to 26 makes a similar point. The lazy bones can imagine having everything. He or she never sees a car that they don't want, never sees a boat that they didn't think they should have. But those cravings and desires eat away at them because they won't work, because they're lazy and they cannot have them. By comparison, the righteous work hard. The righteous are diligent. The righteous make the effort, and as a result, the things that they desire in time they get. And not only that, but Solomon's wisdom is that not only do they get the things that they want, but their hard work makes it possible for them to help those that are really in need. And Paul echoes that in Ephesians chapter 4. The sluggard, the lazy person, has a messed up view of life. The sluggard believes that the world owes them something. They think that they are exempt from the necessity of making a living. They think that there will always be a time and an opportunity. It will always be summer. 
I can always work tomorrow. And Solomon says, this is foolishness. This is folly. The lesson of the sluggard shows us what God approves of. He approves of hard work and diligence and trustworthiness. I think having said all of this about the sluggard, though, we also have to say that we can err in going too far the other way. That the workaholic who neglects God and his family and other responsibilities for his or her job is really not a whole lot better than the sluggard. We can make work and what work and what work provides for us our God. We can serve it. And scripture says that's idolatry. We can forget that we were not made for work but for God. And that our lives, if they're faithful to God, will be centered on him and not on our work. God, not our work or our possessions that we obtain through our work, is to be our priority. But within that framework, within those limits, hard work and responsible work and diligent work are always godly behavior and virtues. Again, work is an avenue of God's grace to us. It is one channel through which he blesses us. And provides us with what we need. I hope we'll listen to these parables or these proverbs rather of the sluggard and find them humorous. I think Solomon intended us to find a good laugh at the person who's in that situation. And I hope that it will encourage us to have good habits, godly habits about the way we do our work. From the Garden of Eden and God's punishment of Adam work, even work that we love has an element of drudgery in it. Its demands can wear us out. We can get tired. And Satan can use our workplaces as places of temptation. But even so, work pleases God. It delights him when we're people who are not afraid to work. We are honoring his plan for us. We are doing what he wanted us to do. And it gives him glory. When his children are people of industry and diligence and responsibility and dependability. So I hope that we will be encouraged to be people of diligence and to have the best possible work habits. Not because our employer will be pleased. Not because that will get us a bigger raise or a better promotion. But because it pleases our Heavenly Father. It delights him when that's the kind of people that we are. When the job and its demands become too much, or when they threaten to overwhelm us, remember the example of a sluggard. Remember that in all that we do, in all the work that we put our hand to, we're doing it to please God. For we work as for the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. There is a final footnote to this. I'm sure without a doubt that I'm preaching to the converted when we look at these passages about the sluggard. I know a great many of you work 60, 70, 80-hour weeks. The warning not to make work our idol probably speaks more to us than the passages about the sluggard. But while these verses have to do with our work, our job, our, our daily employment, 
I think there's also a place for us to apply them in the spiritual realm. For as Christians, we are called to the work of the Lord. We are called to his service. And surely diligence and hard work are needed to accomplish that kind of work as well. After the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, surely we don't want to be sluggards or lazy bones in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure God knows how much work is done in this congregation every day. And I'm sure that he is faithful to remember every good work that we do that he doesn't forget. But let's faithfully remember that in saving us by his grace, he created us for the very purpose of doing good works in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. The good works that we do are not to be something that we just do on occasion when we don't have anything better to do, but rather faithful service and faithful work in the kingdom is to be our way of life. It is to be our life habits as Christians. And we hear Jesus' challenge. His challenge to us is that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, indeed, the call is to the work, to the work. There is labor for all. Let us do with our might what our hands find to do. And surely in the end, we all want to hear our Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful workers. Neither the sluggard in earthly work or the sluggard in spiritual work will hear those words. And so let us be the kind of diligent, faithful workers that will hear such words and will have the pleasure and delight of our Heavenly Father. We're going to finish now with a song of encouragement. Maybe someone here this morning in need of prayer or needing to do God's will. And if you do this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?